Today, I will discuss the new apostolic exhortation, Laudate Deum, issued by Pope Francis on October 4th as a sequel to Laudato Si. Did the pontiff get the science correct? Let's discuss. Welcome to Created to Reign, a production of the Cornwall Alliance for the Stewardship of Creation. The Cornwall Alliance is a ministry dedicated to helping fulfill the mandate God gave mankind in Genesis 1.28 to subdue and rule the earth in a way that enhances its fruitfulness, its beauty, and its safety for the glory of God and for the benefit of our neighbors. And remember, you can save 50% on educational resources from the Cornwall Alliance online store during October of 2023. Check out some of our best-selling books, magazines, and DVDs. No coupon is necessary, and your discount will automatically be applied at checkout. The second encyclical of Pope Francis was Laudato Si, or Praise Be to You. It was dated May 24th of 2015 and released less than a month later. It is a call for coordinated globalism due to climate change, or as it is now called, global boiling, caused by environmental degradation, consumerism, and irresponsible development on the part of human beings. Dated October 4th, 2023, Pope Francis's sixth apostolic exhortation, Laudate Deum, or Praise God, was released. It is a sequel to Laudato Si and criticizes Christians for not pursuing a solution to the climate crisis with enough fervor in the intervening eight years. It also condemns climate denial in no uncertain terms. At this point, I want to stress that I am only proceeding to critique the science as presented within Laudate Deum, not specifically the theology, although I will comment on areas where the two intersect. There is some question as to whether Pope Francis was speaking with papal infallibility within this apostolic exhortation. Some in the media have argued that he is. For example, Crux quotes Pope Francis as saying that, quote, the care of the environment and the fight against climate change is not a lofty goal for humanity, but a moral imperative, unquote. In the canon law of the Catholic Church, canon 749, Paragraph 1, it states that the Supreme Pontiff possesses infallibility in teaching when he proclaims by definitive act that a doctrine of faith or morals is to be held. But paragraph 3 also states, no doctrine is understood as defined infallibly unless this is manifestly evident. So I'll defer to theologians to make the call. Let me also state that I am not a Catholic. Note, too, that I am reading the official English language translation and not working with the original Latin, so I apologize to Pope Francis if English does not convey his original meaning. Nevertheless, my focus here is solely on scientific accuracy, as required by 1 Thessalonians 5.21, but examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. This apostolic exhortation consists of 73 paragraphs. Suffice it to say, I will not be doing a paragraph-by-paragraph paragraph discussion. I will highlight enough of it, however, to ascertain whether infallibility exists with respect to the climate science. 
Paragraphs two and three use rather extreme terms to describe the current environmental situation. Phrases such as a suffering planet, the world in which we live is collapsing and maybe nearing the breaking point. It is indubitable that the impact of climate change will increasingly prejudice the lives and families of many persons. This is a global social issue and one intimately related to the dignity of human life. And attacks on nature have consequences for people's lives. That Pope Francis feels climate change is an existential threat lies in his final line of paragraph three. Climate change is, quote, a tragic and striking example of structural sin, unquote. So what is structural sin? According to an article in the journal Society for the Study of Christian Ethics, structural sin is a sin that inheres in laws, institutions, or social roles. That is, institutionalized sin. It is a sin committed by the whole of society or collective sin not just sin committed by you as an individual. So, according to Pope Francis, we all are condemned by God for sin from our collective mistreatment of the planet. Paragraph 5 begins the global climate crisis, wherein Pope Francis states, quote, the signs of climate change are here and increasingly evident, unquote. Well, of course they are, since climate changes, and climate always has changed. But that isn't what he meant, as he goes on to state, no one can ignore the fact that in recent years, we have witnessed extreme weather phenomenon, frequent periods of unusual heat, drought, and other cries of protest on the part of the earth that are only a few palpable expressions of a silent disease that affects everyone. Cries of protest on the part of the earth? And a silent disease? Really? We've encountered heat, drought, and extreme weather for all time. As Ecclesiastes 1.9 states, That which has been is that which will be, and that which has been done is that which will be done. So there is nothing new under the sun. Well, come on. One cannot ascribe every disaster to global boiling. Oh, wait. Pope Francis goes on to write, quote, Admittedly, not every concrete catastrophe ought to be attributed to global climate change, unquote. Good. We are on the same page. Oops, same page, but the wrong book, as he continues. Nonetheless, it is verifiable that specific climate changes provoked by humanity are notably heightening the probability of extreme phenomena that are increasingly frequent and intense. Pope Francis goes on and on with the classic defenses associated with human-induced climate change. There is one quote I specifically wish to examine. For this reason, we know that every time the global temperature increases by one half of a degree Celsius, the intensity and frequency of great rains and floods increase in some areas, and severe droughts occur in others, extreme heat waves in some places, and heavy snowfall in others. This reminds me of a quote from the IPCC second assessment report in 1996. Warmer temperatures will lead to a more vigorous hydrologic cycle. This translates into prospects 
for more severe droughts and or floods in some places and less severe droughts and or floods in other places. In other words, as air temperature rises, some places will get warmer, some will get colder, some will get wetter, some will get drier. Sorry, but that is called, wait for it, climate change. Ugh. But the next five paragraphs diverge from the doom and gloom scenarios and focus on climate deniers. Okay, now it's starting to get personal. Pope Francis writes, climate deniers bring up allegedly solid scientific data, like the fact that the planet has always had and will have periods of cooling and warming. Oh, he is good. He already knows what I was going to say and what I've already said, even though, wait a minute, what are allegedly solid scientific facts? Pope Francis continues, climate deniers forget to mention another relevant datum, okay, which is that what we are presently experiencing is an unusual acceleration of warming at such a speed that it will take only one generation, not centuries or millennia, in order to verify it. And later he writes, we have confirmed that in the last 50 years, the temperature has risen at an unprecedented speed, greater than at any time over the past 2,000 years. <sighs> unprecedented speed over the last 50 years. Over the last 50 years, we have seen a rise of only one half a degree Celsius. But between the late 1600s and the early 1700s, the temperature increased by about 1.5 degrees Celsius at the end of the Maunder minimum. That is three times the current rate. And what about the period from 1940 to 1978 when we were worried about global cooling? Gee, I could not find a papal encyclical or apostolic exhortation on global cooling. But deniers and the sowers of climate confusion apparently don't know the difference between climate and weather. Thus, the apostolic exhortation explains their difference. Really? There's even an appeal to the 97% consensus with the phrasing, it is not possible to conceal the correlation of these global climate phenomenon and the accelerated increase in greenhouse gas emissions, particularly since the mid-20th century. The vast majority of climate scholars support this correlation, and only a very small percentage of them attempts to deny this evidence. You know, maybe I should do a podcast on the statistical accuracy of the apostolic exhortation. All right, maybe not. In paragraph 14, the pontiff writes, the change in average surface temperatures cannot be explained except as a result of the increase in greenhouse gases. Again, this is the off-sided argument that greenhouse gases drive air temperature. It is why the so-called man hockey stick exists, to allow the true believers to assert that the climate, as defined solely by air temperature, never changed between 1000 AD and 1900 AD, and only began to increase in the last century due to an increase in greenhouse gases. As you may know, absent in the hockey stick is the warming of the medieval warm period, the cooling of the Little Ice Age, 
and known climate fluctuations such as the 1816 year without a summer due to several major volcanic eruptions that occurred almost simultaneously. If the hockey stick is to be believed, then neither solar fluctuations, natural variability, or volcanic eruptions can affect global air temperatures. Humans are the only agents of climate change and only through their emissions of greenhouse gases. Historical and statistical analyses have proven the hockey stick to be an intentionally fabricated lie and that greenhouse gas concentrations are but a minor player in historical climate change. Paragraph 15 advocates that ocean waters have a thermal inertia and centuries are needed to normalize their temperature and salinity, which affects the survival of many species. This is one of the many signs that other creatures of the world have stopped being our companions along the way and have become instead our victims. Well, I would like to note that Eve was created because the rest of creation was inadequate as a companion for Adam. Other people are our companions along the journey of life, and we are commanded to take care of them and treat them as we would treat ourselves. By contrast, we are commanded to have dominion over the rest of creation with the purpose of glorifying God and caring for others. In particular, Psalm 8, verses 5 to 9 state, Yet you have made man a little lower than God, and you crown him with glory and majesty. You make him to rule over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes through the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Well, the section on climate science then concludes with a reference to the COVID-19 pandemic. Yes. Finally, we can add that the COVID-19 pandemic brought out the close relation of human life with that of other living beings and with the natural environment. I'm not sure how it did that, but Pope Francis continues. But in a special way, it confirmed that what happens in one part of the world has repercussions on the entire planet. This allows me to reiterate two convictions that I repeat over and over again. Everything is connected, and no one is saved alone. Well, with respect to this last conviction, I am puzzled by what the pontiff means. If he means collective salvation, we are all saved by becoming one, oh, he is sadly mistaken. As Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 proclaim, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. We are saved by the grace of God through faith alone in Jesus Christ. There simply is no other way, and it is a personal, not a collective relationship with God. I could continue on a line-by-line exegesis, but I won't. This podcast would go on forever. Not surprisingly, this apostolic exhortation mirrors the paper released by the National Association of Evangelicals and the Evangelical Environmental Network entitled, Loving the Least of These, Addressing a Changing Environment on which Cal and I did a five-part podcast. 
It also reflects sentiments conveyed by a new book, Following Jesus in a Warming World, A Christian Call to Action, which I will be reviewing for our blog. But there are a couple of additional key points I would like to note in this papal apostolic exhortation before I leave. The climate science section is then followed by a discussion of the growing problem of technology, artificial intelligence, greedy economics, and the meritocracy that are driven by striving for maximum gain with minimal cost. The section climaxes with, why should the rich care about the damage done to our common home if they feel securely shielded by the financial resources that they have earned by their abilities and effort? You know, this section left me feeling that Pope Francis was advocating for a collective socialist view of the world as the only way to save us from the ravages of global burning. Could that be what this is all about? Well, incredibly, this section ends with, with an eye to the children who will pay for the harm done by their actions, the question of meaning inevitably arises. What is the meaning of my life? What is the meaning of my time on this earth? And what is the ultimate meaning of all my work and effort? I would have assumed that a leading follower of Christ would have no issue with these questions. That poor children might be asking such questions because their environment was being destroyed by the uncaring technocratic elite strikes me as missing the point of the Great Commission to spread the good news of Christ to the ends of the earth. The ultimate meaning of all my work and effort is not bound up with accomplishments that will pass away. Indeed, as Matthew 6, 19 and 20 state, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. After a discussion of the failure of international politics to curb the rise in air temperature, Pope Francis then discusses the history of the Conference of Parties, their successes and failures, and his hopes for COP28 that will be held in the United Arab Emirates. Pope Francis finally notes, Per capita emissions of the richer countries are much greater than those of the poorer ones. How can we forget that Africa home to more than half of the world's poorest people, is responsible for but a minimal portion of historic emissions. Again, with all due respect, why is it that the poor have reduced emissions? Because access to affordable energy lifts people from poverty. I will say it again because Cal and I have said it often. Making energy affordable and available is the key to poverty reduction. Since 1820, the poverty rate has diminished from about 80% to less than 10% of the population, despite it increasing from about 1 billion to 8 billion people. How did that happen? The Industrial Revolution, which in part made energy available and affordable. Since God has commanded us to care for others as we care for ourselves, with particular attention to the poor, one would presume that an apostolic exhortation should focus on how we can make energy available and affordable to all 8 billion people on the planet. 
This apostolic exhortation, the paper by the National Association of Evangelicals, and the book Following Jesus in a Warming World, all miss this important point when they identify global boiling as an existential threat to the planet and posit all sorts of draconian solutions that would only resign more people to abject poverty and reduce the living standard of most of the rest of the world. Only those in charge of a totalitarian society will be the winners in this hellish game of global energy reduction. Odate diem, indeed. Thank you for listening to Created to Reign. Until next time, I am David R. Gates, and may God richly bless you. Mm-hmm.